right. Well, we've got a lot to discuss this morning. Um, you know, it's been cur- encouraging to hear from you guys as we've done this series for many of you to say, hey, I'm just glad that we're talking about these things. And oftentimes, um, maybe the church universal is afraid to discuss certain things or doesn't know how to do that or hasn't done it well in the past. And so hopefully um, this has been encouraging to you and it's helpful because these are real life situations and scenarios that we're talking about. And so last, free, uh, last week, um, we started with a phrase that a lot, of a, a lot of our parents said in our homes, and that was never talk about sex and religion or politics. And so we talked about two of those. We talked about uh, religion and politics. And some of you gave some really good feedback that this has kind of changed significantly with this present generation where you guys are more comfortable talking about those things. However, you did make it really clear you're not okay with like arguing and mic dropping on others, but you would rather be much more careful and filled with grace and gentleness and respect in those conversations. And that was really encouraging to hear from you guys. Um, One of my favorite guys, you hear me quote him often, Robbie Zacharias, he said, when we sling mud, we lose a lot of ground. And that is so true. And so we discussed two of those three um, last week. And so today we are going to discuss sexual expression and gender. So let me start by saying this is a really thorny and complex and confusing topic. Okay, and this is not just a political or cultural issue, but it's personal. Because either we or other people that matter are affected by this. So I know that we are treading on sensitive ground here. Um, We can all observe that we're living in a time of openness and experimentation in pursuit of alternative ways to live in relationship with one another and to even think about ourselves. So for our discussion this morning, we're going to define some terms that are being used presently. And this is just so we can um, get our minds around how these things are being discussed in some of the terms that may we may or may not be um, familiar with. So, this one's pretty basic, but male and female, okay, is considered our sex. That's based on our physical anatomy, and our obstetrician communicates it immediately after birth, okay? So for, for me, I had an unusual first experience with this with our firstborn, okay, with Luke. So we did an ultrasound, and uh, I can't remember how many weeks ahead it was, but Luke was not really cooperating, and we couldn't really tell, but the nurse said, well, I'm pretty sure that's a girl. And my wife was like, she didn't really give us any good reason. And just because she couldn't, like, so Allison was convinced we're having a boy. All right. I'm thinking, what's that? Yeah, well, 
Let me get to the end of the story, please. So, I will admit, yes. And so, I, for me, I'm thinking, listen, this lady, they do these for hours and hours a day. She knows. I am mentally thinking we're having a girl, okay? And so then, we, I see this thing come out, and... The doctor says, and I'm just like, it. for those of you that have experienced that, it's a very unusual day for you, you know? And I'm just like, whoa! And uh, the doctor says, okay, you can tell your wife what you have. And I'm kind of like, my first thought was, well, it's a human. That's what we have. And then I'm thinking, oh, he means... Yeah, the sex, gender. So I look, and I was like, wait a minute, that, I am totally confused. We have a boy. So it just took me a little bit, and I'm sure the doctor was like, why did he, you know, what was the pause there? But it was, tell her what you have. And I'm just thinking, this is a very obvious, this is a human. Okay, but anyway. So my wife was right all along. But that's, that's our sex, that's anatomy, that's biology, it's just science, okay? Gender, however, is what we identify as. So we could have male anatomy and yet feel internally like a female, okay? This is what we're going to talk about, kind of this gender spectrum that is being discussed now. So gender can be fluid, it can change, and it can be very difficult to nail down. So it's really challenging in discussing this well. Um, as many of you know, there are what seems to be like countless gender classifications now, and then the language that accompanies those. Um, there's a number of them. I don't have time to discuss all of them. I'm just going to mention a few. And a recent survey said that the majority of this present generation sees gender not as binary, and that's one or the other, male or female, but rather as a spectrum. And so many of us know friends that use different pronouns, they and them pronouns, instead of he and she. There are different dimensions of gender. And these are influenced by how we identify with our body, our identity, and our social environment. And a lot of you are probably familiar with Facebook that has 51 different genders to choose from for your profile, okay? So here's just a few. For example, if you were born a male anatomically and identify as a male, you would be called what? A male, right? Somebody got it? Cis male or cisgender? Okay. So, and I heard some of you saying it. So there's FTM, so the female to male. This would be a trans person who is born anatomically a female but now lives as a male and has a masculine gender identity. They may or may have not altered their body with surgery or hormones or other modifications like voice training and speaking differently. Okay, so that's FTM. There's gender fluid. That's someone whose gender identity and their presentation is not confined to just one gender category. 
Okay, so they may have fluctuating understandings of their gender, moving between categories as feels right. And so, wow, that's a tough one to be able to engage with without offense. For example, a gender fluid person might feel more like a man one day and more like a woman on another day. Some would say that neither of those terms are a good fit. Okay, then there's bi-gender, and that's someone who would identify as both a man and a woman, not necessarily a 50-50 combination, but that they express those at different times. And so there are others that would say they are gender neutral. There's no gender at all. They are genderless. Anybody know the term that they use? Heard it. Neutral? Neutroi? Okay. And that's just the genderless. Okay. So why do I share this? Really, it's to educate us as to what questions are being asked today and just to see how difficult it is to pin down and accurately label or pigeonhole anybody. It's really tough. We have a complex and challenging situation to navigate. Even the binary system, the male-female, is being challenged on a number of fronts. And so just this week in Berkeley, California, um, Berkeley removed all their gender-specific words from their city code, okay? In other words, like a manhole is now a maintenance hole. Um, Anything in their city code that said man-made is now Artificial is the term they're using. Um, For fraternity or sorority, the term is collegiate Greek system residence. Okay? For those of you at UCF, what do they call you when you're a first-year student? They call you first years. UCF has changed that. They don't use the term freshman. Okay? Seldom. Okay, freshmen, men, whatever. Um, that is, so in colleges, a lot of times now, first-year student is used for that. And in the college environment, we see langu- language and culture, future leadership is kind of being molded with this movement and language changes, language changes, and that's evident. Um, I'm, you know, on staff, um, spend a lot of time on the college campus or thinking about it too, and so I've seen those changes. Now, here's why I kind of walk into these, this teaching <clears throat> in these deep waters with some fear and some trepidation for sure, is that when it comes to discussing our sexuality and how we feel about it, like the way we see ourselves in this is a deep part of us. Like our self-image is strongly attached to how we identify ourselves. I think that there is, it can be so easy now to offend others because they identify so deeply with their sexuality. And I I don't think that's a good thing. 
that we have come to the point where we have reduced ourselves to merely sexual beings where people would say, I am gay, I am bi, I am trans, whatever that is. But that has become like really important to us. And I don't think we're on the right track with that. And that is across the board. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about identity. Over the years, whether good or bad, we develop a series of beliefs about ourselves that kind of start to assemble and create our identity. And based on our kind of psychological makeup, how we're wired, we are going to respond to our nature and our nurture differently. And that's based on how we interact with our peers or we interact with our parents, or authority, and then if there's sexual and emotional involvement there also, those things imprint us, okay? So even something as simple as like, if you grew up in a family that has a really strong like work ethic, and they value production above all, you start to evaluate yourself on that criteria. And if you meet that criteria, you feel acceptable. If you exceed that criteria, you take great pride in that. What happens, though, is you become like that success, or I should say that production becomes inextricably linked to your identity. And that may not seem awful, but that can become really unhealthy. And there are a lot of people in therapy this week because their identity was tied almost solely to their achievements or their success in hopes of approval and attention. Tons of athletes struggle with this. They've, they've had these great accomplishments in public and people, you know, they receive adulation for that. And then when they retire and it's not there, man, depression sets in. It's really tough because their identity was wrapped up in this achievement in front of others. And then they no longer have it. Looking at our past and how it imprints us really does change us in a lot of ways. A different scenario, in this case, a sexual scenario. How about the little girl that is sexually abused repeatedly as a child. Through that trauma comes intense hurt, deep shame, and sometimes self-hatred. They feel dirty or damaged, and that becomes part of their identity. And later, that produces a lot of unhealthy effects, okay? I heard a licensed psychologist um, once who is speaking about a number of people within the adult film industry. And he had said that he had never spent um, any therapy time with a woman who was involved in porn that had not undergone significant trauma in their life. In other words, he said, I've never met a, met a healthy person who chose this lifestyle for fun and money. He said it was always, 
always trauma that had led to that. So our past imprints us. And so when we ask ourselves, how did our culture get like this? Well, the answer is we've interacted, there's sin, we've been sinned against, we've sinned against others, um, all of that together kind of makes us who we are, and that is really complex. So here's why I want to share that. Sometimes it can get easy for us to simply look at the surface and simply not understand how lives got where they got, how they've arrived at their identity, not seeing that they're complex, nuanced individuals. And so we need to take the time to slow down, suspend our opinions, and listen and pursue our friends in these areas not to correct or reprimand people, but to understand and love people. Okay? Really important. Let's take, for example, someone who is attracted to the same sex. Let's say a lesbian woman. And we walk back in her story some years and she says, yes, I was sexually abused repeatedly by an older male cousin and another older man. So for her, the very thought of being alone with a man is disgusting. It's not only gross, it feels unsafe and it feels dangerous. Knowing that makes perfect sense that a woman would not be attracted to a man in that case. And that shouldn't fill us with judgment. That should fill us with compassion and love for them. So it's important for us to remember that behind every person is a story and a person that Jesus loves and died for, and they're made in the image of God. Now, um, this is really important that I share this, too. Um, this is not about just trauma, okay? Um, some who would say they are gay would say that they have never had trauma like I've just talked about. They have had excellent relationships with their parents and their family and their peers. So I am not saying that trauma is the sole cause of gender confusion, okay? I'm not saying that. In fact, one of the pastors that I've been listening to some of his teachings, a man named Sam Alberry, okay, A L. B-E-R-R-Y. It'd be great for you to look, look him up online and listen to some of his teachings. He actually speaks often with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Okay, um, He says, I am attracted to the same sex. I have an excellent relationship with my parents. I have not experienced some of these things. Okay, And so not everybody fits in to that category. Now, when it comes to gender, identifying with our gender, that is a tough thing, too, to nail down. For some of us guys, okay, it was difficult to identify with our gender or what was expected, 
okay? Guys are maybe expected to be tough and athletic and non-emotional. And so the young boy who is none of those things feels the disconnect with culture and his peers in the pain of feeling different and feeling incapable and feeling alone. And that's where the hiding and the pain begins. And then it kind of gets covered over with self-hatred or guilt or hiding from others or being aloof or really sarcastic and acting. It's so complex and nuanced because we are complex people. Now, I'm going to stop here. I want to come back to this and just speak to all of us here because I think that this issue at times can be seen as, well, I'm a male and I'm attracted to females, therefore, I'm healthy, I'm all good. Not at all, okay? We are all the result of the fall. And what God originally intended for us was lost. All of us are in the same boat. We're broken and we are fallen sexually too. There are tons of men and women right now in straight relationships that are broken and unhealthy, and they are absolute nightmares, okay? So, God's design was for sex to be between a man and a woman in marriage. It wasn't for boyfriends and girlfriends who are dating. It's not. And so... Often, I think that at times Christians can be somewhat self-righteous here and say, we've got this together. And it's like, no, if we're actually honest, we are not following God closely in this area. That's across the board. So back to the trauma of let's say, with the young man who <clears throat> has a difficult time identifying with some of the expectations of his gender. I was one of those, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but there was a male friend of mine, and he told me, he said, I hate being alone with men because they scare me and they're mean. They scare me and they're mean. And so for me... Like he and I have a really good friendship, and it's safe for him, even though I am what he would say masculine, because he knows I'm not going to make fun of him. He knows that I view emotion as a strength and not a weakness, <clears throat> and he's not afraid to talk to me about how he views himself, and he wants to follow Jesus faithfully. That is really, really courageous. Courageous. 
So where does all of this leave us? Like some are like, wow, the, you know, I was confused before, now I'm even more confused. Where does this leave us in this new world? Well, I think it's important for us to see that all of us are broken, hurting, confused, desperate, and we're longing for fulfillment and longing for love and acceptance. It's really important for us to remember that, that we're in the same boat. We're also a little bit wayward, confused, independent, and rebellious. And we don't like anybody telling us what to do or feel. That's tough. So in Romans 7, Paul said this. He's talking about kind of this internal struggle. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will save me? Paul was just like us, living in a world where he found himself struggling with and doing things he didn't want to do, and he throws himself at the grace of God and says, Jesus, help me. Truth be told, we want so badly to be acknowledged and loved and celebrated. When you think about that, what is the answer for pain, brokenness, trauma, confusion, shame, independence, longing, and then love, acceptance, and celebration. It's real simple. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. What other truth is so liberating that the authority of the universe demonstrates that He loves us, celebrates us, and that he longs for us. That he would go to great lengths to make it possible for us to be in relationship with him. As Jesus said to that woman who was thirsty at the well, she came to get water, the woman at the well. He said, I'll give you water that you will never thirst again. And so I think we miss the point when we focus solely on gender and sexual attraction, as if that's what Jesus came to redeem only. Like, let's just picture an, a new world where all of us identify clearly with the sex that we're born with and are attracted to the opposite sex only. Great. Is that what Jesus was after? Does that solve one millionth of our problems? Does that change the world? Does that deal with sin and suffering and death and war? Does that help people turn to Jesus for forgiveness? Does that answer the deepest longings of our hearts? No, it doesn't. Is that what the Great Commission was? Go and make everybody straight. No. 
It was go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what our mission is. Jesus can then, once he gets us, do whatever he wants with us. Whatever he wants. Will he change the way we view sexual relationships? He probably will. Will he change the way you identify yourself? Yes. When Jesus enters a human heart, he starts to heal brokenness and trauma and shame. And then something starts to happen and it's life-altering. He gives us a vision of who we were really meant to be. For me, as someone who always felt like less of a man than others, or insecure, or irresponsible, or passive and scared, I didn't have a father who invested in me. My good, good father that we sang about gave me a new identity. And it all started, like I can remember it, crystal clear, looking at the words on the pages of Scripture. One of the life changers for me was the gospel and knowing that I'm forgiven. The other was that scene where Jesus gets baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him and the Father declares out loud, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's when God started to paint the picture for me of who I was to become and that I was going to leave the past behind. That it wasn't what I felt inside in the past, that now I was a new creature with a new mind and a new heart. And that's what we're really talking about this morning. What does God say about who we were created to be? So over the years, and especially recently, I've come across a subculture of individuals that... Super big goal. That's really... It's pathetic. As bad as that is, I haven't had carbs for like two weeks, okay? So that's good, right? Eh, okay. Thanks for all the approval and acceptance. You guys are... No. Anyways, so... I, I've come across this subculture of people, and you won't hear about this, of course, in, in the media, because this isn't, this isn't a popular thing. I don't even know if it's really understood all that well. But there is a subculture of people who have been changed by the power of the gospel. They have chosen by God's grace and power to live celibate. Celibate. Like to be faithful to Scripture. They believe every word of it, and they have chosen instead of defining themselves by their sexuality... They have decided that we are going to pursue godly friendships with other people. Deep, intimate friendships that are not sexual in nature. And so they have exchanged kind of the world's expectations 
for what they would say is the gospel. That they are not gay, that they are followers of Jesus. They are Christians. That is their new identity. And I think there is so much we can learn from that that we have people that are willing to say, I am not defined by sex. I am defined by what Jesus says about me. So we need to ask ourselves that question. There are most likely some lies that have shaped our identity over the years through nature, nurture, trauma. And maybe sexuality and gender are just some of the areas that might have been damaged. But remember, this is the story of the Christians. The first followers of Jesus were from messed up backgrounds too. And a myriad of backgrounds. Some religious, some atheists, some pagans, some Jews, some Gentiles, some drunks, thieves, abusers, introverts, extroverts, some insecure and lost. Like Jesus said, they were sheep without a shepherd. And now they're all being transformed into somebody new. So Jesus was saying, there is something wrong with all of us. We're not lined up with God. We're broken, and none of us are what we should be. As Alberry says, essentially, no one is straight. All of our hearts are skewed. Colossians 3.11 says this, in this new life, this new life, it doesn't matter If you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, that's how they identified themselves in the past. Now, it's all about something and someone different. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. It doesn't matter what you were, I am making you new. Galatians 3, 28, Paul says this to another group of people, all with different backgrounds, different stories and issues. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's trying to get them to see that we are new people And Christ is our identity, not what culture has taught us. It's so important. It's for all of us. I know for me, allowing God to redefine me is so important. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Christianity isn't about God rewarding good people. It's about God forgiving broken people. And we were all broken and in need of Jesus. I think this needs to be said. Sex is not the be-all and end-all in life. At all. It is worshipped in our culture. And it shouldn't be.
the man that all of us worshiped today and have in this room together for collectively hours where we've had intimate times with him and changed the course of history, never had sex. Jesus. It is not essential. Our identity lies in something much greater than that. Jesus had it right. No matter who he was talking to, he said this, and it's true for every single one of us. I am the bread of life. I am what you need. He is enough. I think oftentimes, even when it comes to marriage and that, like, there are single people, you're out there and you feel like, I will be complete and fulfilled when I'm married. That will be it. No. You are complete now in Jesus, period. Do not, do not listen to that lie. Okay? You are not defined by what some other person thinks about you. You're defined by what Jesus thinks about you, and He died for you. There's your value and your worth right there. Jesus said, I'm the living water, and He has all we need. Guys, only He can satisfy us on that deepest level. You guys in the band, you guys can come up. Unfortunately, I think the lie this culture tells us is that if you're sexually fulfilled, then you will truly feel fulfilled. I think we live in a culture now that will pursue that dream like crazy for the next 10, 15 years, who knows, and then say, oh my gosh, it didn't work. This has been a disaster. I haven't been fulfilled. In fact, my heart has been broken so many times, and now I'm jaded and callous. And again, we will come back to this. A relationship with Jesus is what we are made for and what we need. Here's why. He won't desert us. He won't fire us. He won't leave us. He won't cheat on us. He will be faithful to us. Let's pray. Lord, you know that even as we're speaking about this, some of these things that were shared lead us to even further questions. God, help us to be a community that is not afraid to be open and honest and vulnerable with our past, with our identity, with the things that we struggle with, knowing that we have this hope that you change us, that you can make us entirely new people. The trajectory of our lives change when we come to know you. 
God, help us to engage with friends, with family, maybe in our own life with some of these things that we are like thinking about and we won't tell anybody. Help us to find trusted friends that we can talk with. And ultimately, Lord, help us to realize the lies that the world tells us, that this is who you are, this is everything about you, and that's what you need. No way. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it, it even says, like, those that are single, like, it's almost like what an opportunity you have. God, we ask that you would start to shape our identity, that we would see that we, being in Christ, is what matters. In Jesus' name, amen.